This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. We're speaking today with Jeremy Siegel, a Wharton finance professor, about the outlook for markets in 2016. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you for joining us. Happy to be here and a happy new year. Happy new year to you. Although not not so happy in the stock market today. Well, let's talk about uh, a couple of things. One is that 2015 was the worst for stock markets since 2008. Uh, The Dow Jones and S&P 500 indexes basically were flat. They, they lost a little bit, but basically we're flat. So that is the lowest performance in, in quite a while. Uh, so I wanted to ask where you see them going in 2016, but then as we get up this morning, we have these issues in China, right. uh, suspension of trading, a drop of 7% in the stock market there. So uh, th- these are all connected. So let's talk right. about the short term, and then we can talk about well, the long term. One thing I think is pretty interesting, you know, the worst in, what, six, seven years, and it's a flat market. That's not bad. Right? I mean, uh, it shows how many up markets we have had over the last seven years that the worst is uh, slight negative on the index. And if you add the dividend return, actually a very slight positive one. Uh, And the the major reason for that, and we touched on this, you know, in, uh, you know, August last year, that we had a tremendous drop in earnings, uh, unexpected, uh, both on the rise in the dollar and the collapse of uh, energy prices. And uh, so the earnings uh, were way, way below estimates and, and actually not a bad stock market performance uh, given the decline uh, in earnings that we had. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think that the projections are that earnings, the upcoming reports, aren't going to be great either. And now we have this wrinkle, large or small, with China at the moment. Um, so what do you see? It's a tough. It's a tough call for 2016. Yeah, well, let's get to the real short run. I mean, the China thing, uh, a circuit breaker at five percent for a volatile market is way too small. Uh, and there's also fears that there's the, the, there's the big lockup. They prevented insiders from selling stocks for six months. That's going to end on Friday. And there's a you know whenever something bad happens, oh my God, there's going to be millions of shares sold on Friday, and then it just uh, does. And I get out now before the circuit breakers come in. It's a mess. They've just not you know we all know that they've handled the market really badly. Um, and um, you know, it's 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 an important market of the world, and uh, I think that that certainly uh, contributed to the declines we saw today. Do you think that the, that the situation in China is not quite as bad as the market suggests today, and that it's a sort of technical things that are making it overshoot on the downside? Well, you know, the the market always overreacts. I mean, how will how much will GDP go up? I mean. Uh, you know, I, I heard, you know, on CNBC, some forecasters saying as low as 2 or 3% for this year, which would really be a shock. But most of the people that I talk to that have used it say maybe it's 5. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's a come down, still not a disaster. We wish we could get uh, anywhere near that figure. Right. Okay. Um, so then let's look forward. Let's look into the first quarter, first half and and the whole year. The whole year. What, yeah. What are you seeing? Well, I, you know, there's a lot of pessimism now. I mean, if you take a look at bulls and bears and how it is, wow, there's a lot of downbeat on the market. I don't think it's going to be as downbeat. Um, first of all, I don't think the Fed is going to tighten as much as many observers fear right now. 
I mean, a lot of people are calling for four tightenings. Some even think more. I don't think so. I really think it's going to be two tightenings um, uh, on around that level. Uh, so I, I, I think that that's going to be a positive in the market once they realize, oh, my goodness, you know, the Fed is not going to tighten that much. Uh, hey, at that particular point, you look at the valuation of stocks and they're very – even though they're high from a historical basis, they are not high relative to current and prospective interest rates. And I think that that realization will bring some money back into equities this year. So where would you see the indexes at the end of the year? I, I think we can do 10 percent this year. Um, you know, uh, again, we were flat last year. I think earnings are going to rise about 10 percent, uh, a little bounce back from about 7 percent drop that we had this year. And with the earnings increase and the fear, fears being allayed on how aggressive the Fed is, I can see, you know, we would be at the same price earnings ratio then uh, for a 10 percent move uh, in the market this year. What do you see as the uh, major positives and the major threats to the U.S. economy for 2016? Well, I mean, the, 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 the positives is, I think, as I mentioned, I don't think interest rates are going to be a, a threat. In fact, they're going to be less of a threat than many people think. So that's going to turn out on the positive side. Uh, I also think that earnings are going to recover. We had a tremendous decline in particularly energy earnings sectors, and they're going to recover. The threats are, my goodness, there are people still calling for $20 oil. And although, again, you know, we've talked about this issue, a drop in oil prices is good net for the U.S. economy, although not as good as it used to be because we're almost balanced in terms of imports and exports with our tremendous increase in shell production over the last five years. But uh, nonetheless, the S&P 500 is not just a U.S. index. It's way more heavily weighted towards energy, the manufacturing companies that supply the energy Companies like Caterpillar and others and Schlumberger with all the drilling equipment and all that. And they are definitely hurt and marking down. Also, the fact that the strong dollar, although it helps us in terms of imports, is, is very challenging for those companies that sell abroad and bring back uh, euros and yen that are worth less in dollars. And that's another reason for the hit uh, in earnings. So, again... Oil prices down is not going to be good for the earnings of the S&P 500, even though it's not going to have, uh, you know, a big negative effect on, on the U.S. consumers. How about places like Europe and China? They would benefit, of course, from low, these lower oil prices. China is a net importer. India is a net importer. By the way, India is, you know, growing 7 8 percent now really faster than China. It's the oil producers in the emerging markets that have been hit the most. So if we... Uh, uh, you know, again, what happens uh, on, on, on uh, you know, what's going to happen on oil? And China's a big story about, by the way, what happens on oil. Uh, unquestionably, if we get a big slowdown in China, oil will continue to be under pressure in 2016. What are the chances um, that the relatively positive picture for job growth in the U.S. in 2015 will finally lead to some real wage growth in the U.S., which has been lacking for, some would say, for decades uh, when you account for inflation, and also uh, connected to that uh, real investment by Sorry. corporations in, in, into increasing production, expanding in some way. Well, one thing we should realize is that one of the biggest disappointments over the last four or five years, we've had a really good increase in the number of jobs, but productivity growth 
GDP growth has been very poor. And I say, you know, people say, well, it's two and two and a half percent, but that's the trend rate. Uh, we've that's if you had no increase in jobs, and we of course had have had a net increase in number of workers over two million a year over the last three years. We should be producing four and a half, five percent growth rates in real GDP. We don't completely understand the reasons for the productivity collapse. Um, uh, part of it is more regulations. Um, part of it is maybe a mismeasurement of uh, the prices. So many things are now free because of our cell phones and our apps and everything. And, and if they're free, they're not in GDP because uh, GDP is price times quantity. So uh, there's, there's a, some people, and I'm one of these included, that think that there's, there's actually more deflation going on than people think when you actually take into account all the things that have sort of gotten free over time, which means we're understating real GDP and understating the growth of, of real wages. Uh, so there's some measurement problem. Uh, there may be some compliance problem and, and, and regulation problem. It's, it's not completely understood. We get, if we get a bounce back in that productivity, you will see a bounce back in the real wages. Is this connected in any way to the labor participation rate? Because it's great when you see jobs increasing and so forth, but when you compare it historically to you know, the percentage of workers in the U.S. that are employed, which is, which is in a way a more long-term measure, um, we're still, I mean, we're still kind of struggling back to where we were before the financial crash. And, and I think- well, we're at a, actually, we're at record lows. I mean, uh, the particip participation rate has continued to fall, and you're absolutely right, fallen much more than we would expect it. Now, we do know the participation rate will be falling because the baby boomers are going into the retirement period now, but it is falling about twice as fast as most economists say it should be falling. Why people are quitting the labor force, uh, there's a lot of speculation, but that's one of the things that has put pressure on the unemployment rate. Actually, one of the things that I want to see, we're going to have a jobs report Friday, and of course every month uh, we, we have that jobs report. If we could get the participation rate to stabilize or even move up in 2016, that would take a lot of pressure off the Fed, moderate any sort of increases they would have, and that would be a very positive uh, development for the U.S. economy. What do you think the odds of of that happening? I, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, it keeps on surprising us again yeah. on how poor it is. I mean, with a good labor market, unemployment rate of 5%, one of the lowest in the developed world, I um, mean, we should see more people saying, hey, you know what? There are job openings out there. Right. Why aren't they coming back, you know, uh, into the job market? Uh, and it's not just low-wage jobs, et cetera, and yeah. so on. We don't understand all the reasons people change an attitude about workers and double-income families and, uh, and also the, a the, there's a very complicated dynamic that's going on. Also, the idea that this unemployment rate at 5 percent or whatever it is doesn't really capture the number of people that are the outside. U6, the U6, which includes those. That's good. But yeah. that's gone down a lot too. Mm -hmm. I mean that's gone down for – that fell below 10 percent. Mm -hmm. Uh, again, so we've really reduced even the discouraged workers, the marginally attached workers, the workers that are working part-time instead of full-time. All those have also seen a dramatic decline. We've done a really great job there, still have not been able to coax people back into the labor force. And just to note that um, as bad as you say things are with that number in the U.S., it's, I think it's even worse in Europe. So they're suffering from the oh, same yeah. thing. Yeah, well, they, they have – 
I mean, the participation rates, first they have, you know, many of them have much earlier retirement age and much more generous pension promises and uh, unemployment insurance is automatic for them while for us it isn't automatic. Uh, there's a lot of differences that make ours a much more flexible uh, labor market than in Europe. What should – what signals should we take from the big dip that's happened in high yield? Yeah. Bonds, the junk I, bond I think market. almost all of that is the energy sector. Uh, if you take high yield off the energy sector, it is only a very modest weakening. So basically, you know, the collapse in oil prices, and there was a lot of debt associated with that. Uh, you know, the master limited partnerships, that disaster that that occurred last year. People thought that they had a safe income vehicle and, uh, you know, th those prices have been crushed uh, 70 percent or more. That I mean, that that has hurt it. I do not think that, you know, we're going to, you know, see a weakening of the high-yield market this year. In fact, there's probably some good values right now in that market. So you would disagree with those who say this could be the canary in the coal mine that's suggesting there's some underlying weakness in financial markets that this is this is Yeah, and it's up. good to do that because those credits are, I mean, you know, we take a look at what, you know, the financial crisis, 2007-8 financial crisis, we saw the deterioration of those, but that was much more endemic. I mean, high yield were owned by, you know, everybody. This is just the energy credits, which, by the way, the banks are not in at all. This is very, very important in contrast to 2007 and 2008. Uh, uh, the banks... You know, basically, we're, we're not going to any of this financing of these uh, uh, oil wells. There was so much money on the sidelines that went in directly. Yeah. They didn't have to go to the banks. The banks are very, very sound at this, uh, at this juncture. Uh, we touched on this earlier, but I'd like to get a little bit more of your thoughts on how big of a threat is deflation. We know that with China's slowdown, commodity prices have plummeted. It's not just oil. It's copper. It's everything. It's, almost it's, everything. Almost everything. Yeah. Um, and... I know that there's also uh, – we're at the end of a major cycle, pricing cycle in commodities. But now with China doing this uh, pullback, um, it's, it's causing a tremendous effect. So where are we with deflation? Europe seems very vulnerable. China seems vulnerable. And if they were to devalue again, for example? Well, what they are. They're, I mean we saw a tremendous weakening today in the value and it, it looks like it wants to be weaker. And yes, that does export deflation. And yes, I think Janet Yellen is going to have – difficulty meeting her 2% target. And yes, that's one of the reasons why I think we're going to have very moderate uh, increases in the rate this year. But not something that's going to spin out of control. It's not. I, I don't see most of the experts actually point, again, what happens to oil. I mean, oil goes down to 20. That's another leg down. But if we get stability in oil, if you look at the core rates of inflation, they're, they're, they're not quite at two, but they're much closer to two, and they don't really show a sign of substantial weakening. So uh, I still don't think deflation per se, but hitting the 2% target might still be a challenge. And if the economy in the U.S. performs or the stock market performs the way that you're suggesting it will, uh, that's going to help the world economy in general. But there are people out there that are saying the world economy could already be in a recession or, or certainly that one is ahead. What's your feeling on that? Well, the emerging markets are the most challenged. And, of course, those that are producers of, of these commodities are the most challenged. Actually, Europe is looking better than it did a year ago. 
Um, and uh, the U.S. is no is is not really looking weaker. I mean, looking into this year, I still see two to two and a half percent. Uh, and we'll see what happens. It's uh, you know we'll see the labor force and and the productivity again not great for uh, a good labor market growth because of that productivity feature. And Japan has not uh, you know Abe Shinzo's plan for revival has been very slow in coming off. But uh, I don't see a recession there. Uh, the emerging markets are the most challenged. Of, of the group, and since their in, internal growth rate is how much higher, again, a recession in China is three to four percent GDP growth. So, um, and as I say, India still looks very, very strong. So, I, I, I don't see world recession 2016. Thanks very much for joining us. Happy to be here. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.